One time when I was at Meyer working there back a thousand years ago, I ended up in a conversation with a clerk. Um, I was just walking my rounds and I don't really know how I came to understand. I don't know if it was something they were wearing, a pin or something they had said, but I came to understand that this clerk who was working out in the garden center was a church-going Christian. And we were in conversation. Um, apparently, virtually everybody knew there that I was in college to be a preacher. Um, and we struck up this conversation, and he had made a point about something. And I was trying not to be contrary, but I kind of countered his argument uh, with something out of, I can't remember if it was Romans or maybe 1 Corinthians. Because uh, I said, well, yeah, okay, but... It also says this, so, you know, I was debating it with him. And the way he responded was really strange. Because he seemed to be uncomfortable with me saying that, and he said, well, Paul was a fine preacher, but what he wrote doesn't go over what Jesus taught us. And I must admit, I was a bit astounded. I'd never heard of Christians who reject half of the New Testament. In, in asking him a couple of questions, he flat out said he doesn't recognize any of Paul's writings as being authoritative or being part of Scripture. They're just something a good preacher wrote. And so, you know, kind of good advice, but doesn't really have any bearing. I did a little research in preparing for this sermon, and I found out that there are several small sects that don't accept Paul's teaching. They only go with the Gospels and what Peter, James, and John wrote in the New Testament and everything else they just throw to the wayside. And this is astounding to me. If they're not accepting that, I was wondering why. And the reason why is because they believe that Paul is teaching a different gospel than what Jesus taught in the Gospels, that Paul's doctrine and beliefs don't fit with what Jesus taught. And that, to me, as a lifelong Christian and someone with a degree in theology, it was pretty amazing to me. How on earth would this be possible? How could someone teach something that rejects half the Bible. The difference in their understanding is this, that Paul repeatedly, in many of his books, teaches something that they say is against Jesus. Paul taught unequivocally that we cannot be saved by what we do, our works. Jesus, John, Peter and James all teach unequivocally that 
our works are directly tied to our salvation. How can that be if they're not teaching different gospels? If they are teaching different gospels, well, anyone with any common sense would go with what Jesus taught and not with what Paul taught. Tots? We're going to look at some examples of what these writers say on the topic, and we're going to look at what they aren't saying. There's a whole lot of scripture today, folks, so uh, either follow along or have your Bibles ready. We're going to show, spoiler alert, don't want to shock anybody here, they're not teaching different gospels. They're being misunderstood by some people. Let's first take a look at some things that Jesus does say. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 28. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? So Jesus' answer to him is, What does the law say? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. That's pretty bold. The guy asks him flat out how to get eternal life. And Jesus tells him that it's obtained by what he does in relation to God, love the Lord, and in relation to others, love your neighbor. That sounds a lot like works salvation, as clean as it gets. Now, of course, it is a bit more complicated than that. It always is. The same answer is given elsewhere in the greatest and second greatest commandments by Jesus. He is asked, and he answers that way. He says, do these two things. He goes so far as to say that anyone who does those two things is keeping the whole law. He says, you do these two things perfectly, you're keeping them all. That's a pretty, pretty nifty simplification, considering that the Old Testament has six 113 laws. And Jesus just wrapped them all up in two. Then on top of this, Jesus saying that following the law is a way to salvation. His half-brother James also makes some pretty bold statements of his own later on in Scripture. James chapter 2, verses 20 through 24. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. 
This one's pretty mind-boggling. If you point it out to someone who has brought up their entire life being taught faith alone all the time in church. In fact, it is the only place in Scripture where those two words are said together, faith alone, and it's very, very clearly saying you are saved not by faith alone, which can throw somebody into a tailspin if it's the first time they've really heard that. But Paul jumps in. And he says, hold on a minute there, dear Christian. Don't go thinking it's all that simple. Just love God and just love others? Hmm. In fact, some folks would claim he's directly contradicting what Jesus had to say. I would not be one of those folks, just to clarify, but there are folks saying that. Listen to what Paul has to say in Galatians chapter 3. Verses 10 through 12. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Jesus says, hey, you want to get eternal life? Do the two parts of the law which wraps up the whole law. But then Paul comes along and says, hey, if you rely on the law, you're under a curse. Which is pretty strange when Jesus told them to follow the law. So why would Paul do that? Why would Paul come out and say something which would appear, if you just read it, to be absolutely against what Jesus just said? Like Paul's correcting Jesus. You might think, why would Paul say that? Well, of course, he doesn't contradict Jesus. Paul doesn't say that just relying on the law puts you under a curse, he infers in the next words out of his mouth, it's actually failing to do so when you're relying on the law that puts you under a curse. If you're saying, hey, I'm getting into heaven by the law, like, all right, but the first time you mess up, guess what? You're done. You are now under a curse. What curse? Your own sin separating you from God. In another passage, Paul says that if you're relying on the law and fail at just one part of it, you've broken all of it. This is not something which really makes sense to our Western 21st century mindsets Because there is no way that anyone would equivocate, let's say you get really, really stupid, okay? You walk into a Circle K and something just, you lose your mind for a minute, you grab a candy bar and you stick it in your pocket and you don't pay for it and you walk out the door. Guess what? You've broken the law. Not only our law, but you've actually broken the Old Testament law too. You're a thief, But none of us would say, hey, that guy just stole the candy bar, they're guilty of murder. 
We'd be like, what? Are you out of your mind? That doesn't even make sense. Paul's saying, if you break one part of the law, you have broken all of the law because relying on the law means you better keep all of it. If you don't, you're a sinner and you are separated from God. But Paul goes on in another passage, in many other passages actually, to tell us just how that salvation can in fact be obtained and it isn't by following the law. Romans chapter 3 verses 21 through 28. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No. But by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Paul says that we have salvation which has nothing to do with following <coughs> excuse me <clears throat> nothing to do with following the law because nobody is good enough to get in by following the law for we have all failed everybody every single one of us as soon as you fail, as soon as you've broken one of those laws, that door is closed as a, as a way of salvation. So our salvation is not obtained through our own deeds, but by Christ's deed for us in shedding his blood on the cross. Because of this, we have nothing to brag about. We can't say that we're Oh, we're such good, godly people. Because we really aren't. We might be better than somebody else. And somebody else might be better than us. But none of that is up to the standard required. So how is it that Jesus and frankly, John, Peter, and James as well, always go on about behavior? How is it that they specifically tied what we do to whether or not we're going to spend eternity in the kingdom. I mean, Jesus had some really, really, really hard sayings. 
things he put forward that we're expected to do, and they're not easy. And then he said, um, yeah, you better be doing these things or you're not in. Luke chapter 14, verses 26 and 27, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. There are some pretty controversial things that people say. Somebody will say something probably on Twitter or some other thing and it's some bold, just plain statement. And it will get people pretty up in arms. Things like, People who continually live a life of sin without repentance aren't Christians. And when they do that, other people get really, really worked up and say things like, how dare you? You can't decide who is and isn't a Christian. Maybe their Christianity isn't the same as your Christianity. To which I and other people would say, well, that's probably true. But in reality, it isn't the people saying it, it's Jesus saying it. There are several places where Jesus says, if you don't do fill in the blank, you cannot be my disciple. And it's really not ambiguous. Jesus He didn't pull any punches. You read through the Gospels and you read the things that Jesus said. A lot of times when he was saying them, he was saying them to the the religious uh, higher-ups who thought they were so great. And he says stuff that is in your face. And he just doesn't even care. He's like, this is how it is. If you don't like it, too bad. I'm God. And we look at those and we go, wow. Can you imagine a preacher saying those things today? Half his congregation would get up and walk out. Jesus said, if you don't do these things, you're not my disciple. Disciple means follower. If you're not following him, you're not his disciple follower. We don't get to define what being a follower of Christ is. We don't get to do that because he already did. And just for our benefit, probably because he knew that we would be really, really terrible at it, Jesus explained the why of this. Matthew 7 verses 18 through 22. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? In the Luke recording of this passage, he includes Jesus saying, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? People who actually do have Jesus as the Lord do what he says. It really isn't complicated. It's hard, but it's not complicated. Those who belong to Christ will live lives which look like they belong to Christ. Those filled with hate will look like they're filled with hate. Jesus isn't saying that we'll get it right all the time. Jesus never once says, hey, you don't get it right one time, you're out. But he's saying we can't beginning it wrong all of the time either. It's a free gift of grace. It's not a license to live a life of sin. If we have been altered by the renewal of His blood, then our lives will show it. There is no contradiction between Jesus and the other apostles teaching obedience to the will of God, and Paul teaching that it's not by the, will, by the law, by us following rules, that we're saved. We're saved through the grace of God, purchased and freed by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Something we can never accomplish for ourselves. But we are not purchased at such a high price to just throw that gift on the ash heap and blaspheming it by ignoring what God wills for our lives. What is a different gospel is not Paul versus Jesus. It's the different gospel of cheap grace, which says that my actions have nothing whatsoever to do with my salvation. Because it was given to me by grace. So since my actions aren't part of it, I can just do whatever I want. Rest in the hammock of God's grace. But for my friend at work from 30 odd years ago, and any others who think that half of the New Testament written by Paul isn't scripture, inspired by God and authoritative for the life of those who follow him, listen to this. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters 
when he speaks in them of these matters. In case you didn't catch that so far, this is Peter endorsing Paul's writings. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. I'm right there with Peter on this one. I read some of Paul and I'm like, wait, what? Which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the what? The other scriptures. Peter said without hesitation that the writings of Paul would be twisted by ignorant people on ignorant people. But this is what they also do with the other scriptures as well. Peter, the apostle, put Paul's letters on equal footing with all other scripture from God. He said, this is the wisdom given to him, inferring through the Holy Spirit, and his writings are scripture. And then just last but not least, in case anybody thinks that Jesus was teaching works salvation and not that he was there to be salvation, I give you one last scripture. John chapter 1, verses 29 through 31. The next day he, that's John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water water, that he might be revealed to Israel. In the very beginning of the gospel, it's made clear. Jesus came to take away the sin of the world. He didn't come to teach us how to earn our salvation through obedience, although he did tell us to obey. He came to be the Lamb of God. The sacrifice that he might take away our sin and that we might obtain salvation in the only place that it can be found. In Jesus' shed blood on the cross. Jesus said, hey, follow the law, but guess what? You'll fail. That's why I'm here. I am here to bring the salvation that you cannot earn for yourselves. Jesus versus Paul? No, not even a little bit. Jesus and Paul, two hands of the same gospel reaching out to us to implore us to give our lives to him. It is the only way to salvation. And if you haven't accepted it, I implore you to do so.